for future economic trends. This is BizTalk. Hello and welcome to BizTalk. The development of the Greater Bay Area in China has significant potential to contribute to the financial stability and technological innovation in Asia. The GBA, comprising of Hong Kong, Macau, and nine cities in Guangdong Province, aims to create an integrated economic and innovation hub that leverages the strength of those regions. The area is home to numerous leading technology firms such as Tencent and Huawei, renowned research institutions, and tech startups. In this episode of BizTalk, we zoom in on the innovation prowess in the region and discuss the relationship between capital and technology. And we start our journey in Macau. Firstly, I talk to Mr. Charles Lee, who is the former CEO of the Hong Kong Stock Exchange. After leaving the stock exchange, Charles co-founded MicroConnect, a new financial market platform connecting global capital with China's micro and small businesses. He shared with me his thoughts on how the finance industry can harness the development of China's technology and innovation base, and the unique advantages Macau holds in becoming a financial hub for technology-based enterprises. Uh, Mr. Li, thank you for your time. You launched MicroConnect two years ago, aiming to help micro and small businesses in China to get access to global funding,、uh, with a unique tool called Revenue Shared Platform. How do innovations like this changing the financial landscape? Yeah, I think it's actually it's China's digital revolution at the micro level that has allowed this、uh, new way of investment. Uh, to potentially to be pioneered and develop, rather than it is this new way of financing that is going to、uh, change. I think this new way of financing will indeed come back and transform how financial industry is going to work, particularly in the consumer investment sector. But I think it is the ability that we are able to determine transparency of revenue at the store level. And the ability to digitally collect returns on a daily basis at the terminal level、um, that allow us to completely reconfigure how financial investment delivery process works. In the past, in traditional finance, all we trying to do is to determine two things: information integrity and、uh, you know accuracy. Second is、uh, transactional delivery security. And not the first one, we rely on massive number of professionals,、uh, you know, accountants and lawyers, and to determine information integrity. On the second, we re- rely on many institutional endorsement and capital allocation, and also regulatory structures to enforce and ensure、uh, transaction delivery safety. So, for both functions, it's a very expensive undertaking. So. That's why in traditional Wall Street model, unless you're raising large enough funding,、mm-hmm. unless you're a large enough of a company, you can't really afford these two essential items of expenses to justify accessing capital in the traditional financial services sector. But if di- revenue can be digitally, transparently determined every day at the store level. You don't need anybody to tell you what's the information. It's accurate. You know the revenue. If revenue can be intercepted digitally 
at the last mile, then transaction delivery can be secured automatically and digitally at the terminal level. So you solve both problems by essentially relying on the mini digital revolution that is already deep and widespread in China's consumer economy. You don't need this very expensive undertaking anymore. Mm -hmm. When you don't need that, then the issue becomes why you are only focusing on big companies. Mm -hmm. Why can we not potentially looking at the smaller businesses mm -hmm. at the micro and, uh, and the uh, small levels in consumer sector? If this sort of a digital transparency and digital collectivity allows you to build investment deployment on a large scale, and to be able to collect money on a daily compounded basis and be able to reinvest the proceeds collected every day, then you can truly transform not only the delivery model so that we finally allow our financial services to be more inclusive, mm -hmm. we are also allowing investors for the first time access to a new blue ocean of investment opportunities mm -hmm. that generated by the high returns of the small businesses. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to do it large enough numbers on scale, then diversification started coming in, mm -hmm. and then the portfolio become a lot more stable than otherwise focusing on the individual company in the traditional model. So this digital revolution will allow us to see perfect capital for the little guy, mm -hmm. perfect capital for the investors. And perfect capital for the little guy is that if they fail, they don't have to pay. So mm -hmm. it's an investment. If they succeed, Spectacularly, they don't have to pay too much. That sounds too good to be true. But if for investors, a too good to be true proposition is returns feel like equity, but volatility feels like fixed income. Again, how is that able to be achieved? But because if you're able to invest on a distributed model with the daily compounded ability to collect returns, reinvestment on a compounded basis, you're able to get a lot more returns for the investors on the one side, and then you can actually not charge a lot mm -hmm. you know, with the individual small businesses so that it's becoming affordable, so they all come to you. But your compounding allows you to create you know, a much greater portfolio. So essentially, a dollar of investment can create a $1.8 mm -hmm. AUM, let's say. The return is based on $1.8. But for the investors, it's the return divided by $1, which gives you a higher return. So this is really um, the way investment should be done. It's the velocity of the capital that allow investors to enrich the returns, but not at expense of individual small businesses. Mm -hmm. So let's zoom out a little to look at the uh, global financial industry. How can this industry harness on China's digital economic development? We are using a fund today to pilot run this so that people to road test this model. So we made the investment and uh, you know we have invested in 4,000 stores now and uh, deployed over a billion RMB now. The primary purpose of uh, 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 us is to build a new exchange. The new exchange platform allow a third way in addition to equity, mm -hmm. IPOs in you know, NYSE, NASDAQ, Hong Kong Exchange, Singapore, all fixed income or debt or bond, this is the third way which is revenue-based financing. So essentially issuers who have revenues who can finance that and who can you know, essentially sell collateralized uh, future cash flows for present value financing 
are able to raise it, and the investors are able to just simply invest in short-term cash flows. So essentially, you're cutting IPOs into slices, yeah. and then just keep doing it. And um, for a lot large companies, you know, you can go there, or when that market is sometimes not open or not attractive, you can come here and do slices. Mm-hmm. But there's so many other companies that probably have never have any hope of being there mm-hmm. in the first place, and they can just all be here and then setting slices of. Uh, uh, revenue. So I think uh, this third way is going to provide investors with so much more optionalities and so much larger scale of investable assets and allow large part of the economy that have been denied access or have no access to traditional financing for them for the first time. They are able to you know, enjoy the benefits of capital, allow capital to finance their capex and allow them to continue to expand when they see good opportunities and uh, have a sustainable capital to do that. And uh, this is obviously today only works in an economy like China that is largely cashless, because only in a cashless society you're able to structure transactions Mm -hmm. at the micro level that way. But other countries in their journey to becoming more digitally connected, and then they should learn and I think, you know, although they may not be able to achieve cashless mm-hmm. status like China did anytime soon, but they could figure out a way to determine the level of cash collectivity, collectability mm-hmm. in the store level. If I can figure that out, then they can replicate this model as well. Mm-hmm. So this model ultimately is the future. Why did you choose to launch MicroConnect's financial asset exchange in Macau? Why Macau? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the, the question is why not Macau, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, the working assumption is that uh, uh, Macau, unlike Hong Kong, unlike Singapore, unlike uh, Shanghai and Shenzhen, and New York and London, Macau does not yet have a very strong established financial services industry and foundation, even, you know, the basic legal uh, you know, establishment. But this is a completely new asset class. This asset class is premised on being neither debt nor equity. It's a commercial contracts. So I think uh, from that perspective, Macau not only have this strong conceptual understanding of this better than anybody else, and correspondingly, it does not have any inherent lack of infrastructure or other support, there is actually no, not much late mover disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And um, the essence of financial risk and therefore the need for regulatory system is the aggregation of capital. When you put a lot of money together, people will have bad ideas and want to do bad things sometimes. Mm-hmm. So you require a transparent and efficient and effective system of settlement which we use blockchain, that allows you to create transparency, create irreversibility, create you know, great you know, ability to track, and then allow regulators 724 access to it. And uh, so from that perspective, I think uh, Macau is probably the perfect place to be. 
Okay, how would you view the competition in between uh, what we call already established financial hubs in the region? We have competitions among, let's say, Shanghai, Singapore, Hong Kong, and now Macau. You talked about Macau as a late mover, but still has its own unique advantage. Um, if they wanted to attract more technology firms, they has to be a financial hub as well, because technology and finance, they always go hand in hand. How do you view this competition? It's not really competition in the sense, because we're not doing what they do. Okay. And they're not doing what we do. We're doing something they don't do. We're servicing a segment that they don't service. And uh, we allow people to do a certain level of financing that they, obviously for companies that are able to do IPOs, and that they can also do something like this here, mm -hmm. you could argue that uh, you know, there might be some competition, but the bulk of the, you know, uh, uh, the businesses that seek financing here, and therefore the investors who invest in those businesses, never had any access there in the first okay. place and they were well. So we just created a new market for people who are going to be new. So completely differentiated and completely you know, different and in many ways probably complementary in the sense that uh, mm -hmm. smaller businesses who do not have access to traditional finance yet but are able to do periodical financing, uh, revenue financing, maybe when and that allow them to grow longer, become bigger and more successful. And when they become bigger and more successful, they may actually decide that their product offering give them something uh, even better. And then they can move on and go to the other market. Okay, great answers. Thank you. In the second half of the show, I spoke to Wang Sheng, a partner at China Growth Capital. The company is responsible for investment in tech-related areas. To find out more about the close relationship between high-tech enterprises and capital investment... Wang, thank you for your time. What role do you think capital plays in the process of promoting technology development and helping technologies to be commercialized. I mean, they need to be commercialized eventually. And also, do you think that at some point, capital could be constraining the development of technologies when smaller VCs are looking at projects with short-term returns? Okay, so capital, as how we define it, so capital is not just money, right? So mm -hmm. If it is money, then there are a lot of people on the street, right? Yeah. Um, you go to the bank, if you could, and then go to your brothers and sisters, a family, and then the capital usually means you have certain means of uh, network or resources that can really help the business. Capital is a neutral word, right? So uh, if you look at what has happened in the internet for the past 20 years, then without a capital, the industry would not take off in, mm -hmm. anyway, right? So capital has always been a, a, a factor in, in whatever we do, be it internet, be it uh, space technology, be it biotech, healthcare, Everything, even the country's infrastructure. If you yeah. look at uh, One Belt, One Road, this is yeah. capital driven. So capital has been an indispensable part of what we do and globally. And then uh, if you look at what happened for the, in our industry for the past three, two to three decades, then it's the people who are managing this capital who, who can really help the companies. Mm -hmm. So we help build business, or we help recruit people, we introduce customers, and we, um, we stay with them when, when, the when the title was down. And so, so it's not, so if you look at our industry, our capital was probably the most patient capital. Even if you look mm -hmm. at uh, 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 Warren Buffet, right, uh, they, they're managed a huge amount of capital, but their capital 
they call it long-term, meaning, okay, five years of commitment. And we call it long-term because we started with a 10 plus two years, right? That's our starting point, 10 plus two years. A lot of things could, could, could happen within 10 plus two years, right? So, but that's, that's what, we, what do we do, right? So our value or this part of the capital world is to create, to, to innovate. Uh, for industry, new industries, emerging technologies, and new t new teams who can never really get access to capital anyway. So uh, without capital, or even without venture capital, there will not be so many industries anyway. Right? If you look at uh, internet, the entire industry uh, of the internet, and if you look at the current AI thing, look at robotics, look at everything, it's all driven by venture capital plus founders. And also, if you look at those people. Uh, be it founders, be it venture capitalists, be it uh, uh, limit partners and family offices, they're, they're basically a bunch of same people. Mm -hmm. They move around. Sometimes they're, they're founders of a startup company and sometimes they just go on to manage a new fund yeah. and sometimes just came out to start a new company. So, mm -hmm. um, so those, those people are basically the same group of people. Okay. They, they move capital, they move technology, combine things together and they create new things. Mm -hmm. So it's really important. We know AI is not a new thing, it's not a new technology, but in 2023, AI shocked the world with developments in um, platforms like ChatGPT and MidJourney. It makes us realize all of a sudden that the future that we have been visioning has already arrived. What would you value the most when you make an investment decision? Uh, the story, the people, the tech, the product? So speaking of the recent development of AI, which has been a very long development actually, it's not okay happening overnight and last year people had no idea what's going to happen this year. Oh wow, suddenly it all happened. Uh, if you look at AI then there are usually, when we look at it usually it's, there, there are two parts. One is the computer vision part, which has already happened roughly six years ago. Mm -hmm. Like look at uh, SenseTime, look at all those computer vision yeah. companies. And then there is the NLP part, the natural language processing part, which has been in development for the last couple of decades. And for a very long time, NLP has failed people's expectations until very recently. Um, well, uh, people started to adopt this large language model. Um, they actually, even look at a large language model, which uh, happened around early 2018, mm -hmm. with the first model being BERT, which is only 100 million, uh, 100 million parameters. Uh, mm -hmm. And now, uh, well, the parameters are, are bigger and bigger, and so people call it ultra-large uh, networks. And, uh, and then if you look at that, then, uh, well, it's a very long process. And so for people like us, we've been through the cycles many times, and so uh, we're looking for uh, vertical applications. For example, if you look at what's happening right now with the LLM, then uh, it's only happening on the infrastructure level. Only the large companies could afford to build their own LLM. And uh, if you look at who's leading, OpenAI, OpenAI has raised a lot of money. And they started with 200 million US dollars. Mm -hmm. So my assumption is, okay, if anyone trying to replicate this, this thing in China or whatever, uh, wherever in the world, then they needed to raise at least 200 million to mm -hmm. get started. So, mm -hmm. uh, so the way we look at it is, okay, infrastructure is happening. And, and for VCs and for smaller scale capital, people like us, then we have to look for something more capital efficient then mm -hmm. we'll probably have to wait uh, for another six or eight months till applications started to emerge on mm -hmm. this uh, large uh, new infrastructure. Will you be looking at the story, the people, or the product? Yeah, uh, everything, right? Uh, but eventually, definitely the people. Mm -hmm. Because 
Uh, if you look at what happened uh, in our industry, then if it is within a matter of a uh, few years, three years, two, four years, five years, then usually it's the technology that changed things, and then boom, it all happened with the internet, right? Uh, if you look at what, how Yahoo made it, how Cena made it, mm -hmm. how eBay made it, everybody, right? It's basically technology, and the team has been changing, right? You, you don't, you probably don't remember the first CEO of Cena, anyway, right? Mm -hmm. um, and uh, but if it dragged, uh, so for example, when, when the technology started, okay, there's a lot of hype, and we yeah. call it the first wave of the Gartner curve, mm -hmm. right? The first uh, first curve is exciting, but sometimes uh, misleading. Right? Sometimes you, you never get a lending case, or sometimes you never can monetize the technology. So, uh, if that can really happen with a monetization model, uh, even like 20 years ago with this kind of eyeball thing, and but the capital market are, are willing to pay, pay the price for it, then it's fine. Uh, but if the times started to expand beyond four years, five years, the ten tenacity of the team and the, the, the robustness of the technology mm -hmm. and the commercial application of the platform, everything is being challenged by the time. Mm -hmm. So if you look at what happened within, for example, EVs, right, in the batteries yeah. and uh, clean, clean technology, uh, well, the, the cycle is counted on decades and also an LP, right? So eventually it has to go back to the founder, to the team, whether they really want to build something great not just for the moment, right? for, for their life. So they're committing their lifetime efforts to this technology and platform building, and then uh, we could potentially benefit from this process. But if they're only focusing on the current technology, technology vanish, and yep. technology evolve. And sometimes the technology cycle is just, like I said, based on half and, well, decades, right? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, so eventually it's the people. But of course, we look at the story, the story will track that us, mm -hmm. look at the technology and look at the product, wow, that's impressed us, and look at the people, then okay, we're happy to work with people like that. And then after a few years of co-working, then we realized the, all the merits and the flaws of this team. And then if the market was ready, then probably we can get an exit opportunity. But if mm -hmm. the, the market was not really ready, for, for example, a lot of the ups and downs we've been experienced during past cycles, then we have to work with the team to, uh, to modify the business model. And, uh, and then that will come to the quality of the team, mm -hmm. the leadership of the founder. You mentioned in 2020 or 2021 that uh, the past few years had been what you called a capital winter for many Chinese startups. Do you think that the spring has arrived? Is arriving, mm -hmm. uh, as how I put it. So uh, if you look at the winter, how the winter came, right? Mm -hmm. So. Uh, it came with, of course, the pandemic, right? But even during the pandemic, you saw, uh, if you remembered, uh, early in 2021, there was a huge surge in capital market because of the QE expansion, yeah. right? So the market, because it's a market, right? So it's driven by liquidity anyway. So uh, if there's a huge QE movement right now, mostly from the U.S., then there's definitely going to be a surge in the market, the rally of the stocks. And then 2022, globally, both U.S. and China, because we look at venture capital, is basically means U.S. and China. And then this BIS ban on technology from U.S. and China, because U.S. and China has been benefiting from each other and for, for the past 20 plus years. And now with this uh, geopolitical change and the, 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 new, the new system or the new kind of technology world order in place, mm -hmm. becoming in place, and then uh, things start to change. And mm -hmm. so the inflow of U.S. dollars has started to stop 
So people call it the, when the music stops. Or now the current when the music really stopped. Mm-hmm. Right? So if you look at how much money we raised in, or the industry raised in 2019, for example, it's usually around 100 billion US dollars. Mm-hmm. Now it's 10, right? It's, it's a 90% discount. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then you also if you look at the exit market environment. Mm-hmm. 2021 has been a great year, and 2022 globally has been a super slow year for, for exits, mm-hmm. for IPOs. So the money hasn't really come back to the LPs. Even they are willing and, and able to invest in China, they cannot, right? Because the money's not back yet. Right. And so that's what happened on the USR side. Yeah. And then um, what, what I meant on, uh, on is coming is because the RMB is happening right, on the okay. RMB side, and the, the guiding funds from different provincial governments or different state pockets and it's all happening. So people are busy traveling to different parts of China mm-hmm. and not just Beijing, Shanghai, but also Chengdu, Fuzhou, Wenzhou, those, those, those cities we, we, we see, uh, we, in the past we saw really rare uh, startup cases, but now it's all happening. And also because, for example, people went to Ningdo because of Ningdo Shidai. Yeah. Right? So RMB is happening. But then uh, there's a third part, which is the private market capital. Mm-hmm. They have not committed yet. They have not gotten into the ring yet mm-hmm. because they're, they're, they've been waiting for, for policy changes, waiting to see more, more exciting kind of positive news to come out uh, so that they could really uh, start playing cards. So we'll see how regulations start to improve and to, mm-hmm. to motiv- motivate uh, what I call corporate, corporate China mm-hmm. change. Right? As part of the Greater Bay Area, Macau has its unique advantage in attracting talent and capital and in promoting technology innovation. Its cultural fusion can inspire innovative ideas and facilitate cross-cultural collaboration. That is critical for technological advancements. Technology is the solution to many of the challenges that we face today, and capital is an indispensable part in promoting innovation and a motive power of the human history progress. I hope you have enjoyed this edition of BizTalk. I'm Lulu Lu. Till next time, bye for now. From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms, 